Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 42 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and this is our first episode post-Oscars, so you might wonder how this is going to work. Well, the long and short of it is that we are going to continue this through the Tony and Emmy seasons that make up the other half of the year, and also continue to bring in interesting people from the world of film. So there's going to be a lot of variety, and that's great. Today, my guest is someone who's only 52 years old, but he's already a bona fide TV icon. Good luck finding someone who doesn't know or love John Stamos, who is best known for his role as Uncle Jesse on the beloved sitcom Full House, which was part of ABC's TGIF lineup from 1987 through 1995. He's also been a regular with the Beach Boys for decades, a prolific actor on Broadway, and a reliable leading man on TV. Post Full House, he appeared in a number of series which had varying degrees of success, including a very memorable three-year stint on ER. Along the way, he developed a passion for producing and has guided to fruition numerous projects for both himself and for others. Over the past few months, viewers have discovered two series that he was instrumental in bringing to life as an executive producer and in which he also acts. The first, released just a few weeks ago in February, is Netflix's Fuller House, a spinoff of Fuller House in which Stamos and most of the other stars of that original series reunite. The second, which debuted last fall on Fox and received a full season pickup not long thereafter, is Grandfathered, in which Stamos plays a middle-aged bachelor who is shocked to learn one day that he has not only a child, but also a grandchild. Fuller House came in with more buzz, but Grandfathered is generating much more critical heat and could conceivably earn the 52-year-old his first primetime Emmy nomination for acting in the category of Best Actor in a Comedy Series. I think it would be well-deserved. Grandfather's on a short hiatus right now, but will resume airing on April 26th, by which time Stamos hopes the show will already be picked up for a second season. In the meantime, though, Stamos fans can catch plenty of him elsewhere, certainly on Netflix, which released all of Fuller House at once, Then, on March 24th, in movie theaters, as he'll be appearing in My Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. And, of course, right here on this podcast, we spent more than an hour together at his Beverly Hills home talking about his entire life and career, the success of which he himself still has a bit of a hard time accepting. So let's go to that conversation. First of all, thank you very much for having us over to do this. And Scott, you did, all of a sudden you're putting on a sexy voice. We've been talking for <laughs> 10 minutes here now. Scott, hey, hey, how you doing, Johnny? That's great. Right. You know, uh, John, uh, thanks for having us over. This is Scott. Uh, well, I got to tell you, this is a little bit more surreal than a number of the others that we've done because I really feel like I grew up with you, so I really appreciate you, thank you Scott. doing this. And I feel like now that you're a grandfather, at least on television, that's not too weird to hear that, so, right? Yeah. You, people grew up with you. Yeah, I never know if uh, it's... I mean, I guess it's obviously it's a, it's a compliment, but yeah. it's also you're saying that I'm old. <laughs> so to begin with, I just want to ask you if you can stay for the record. Where were you born and raised and what sort of childhood did you have? I was born in uh, Los Angeles, in um, Inglewood, and uh, uh, I grew up in Orange County near Disneyland. I had a fairy book uh, childhood, you know, just a beautiful story, beautiful parents, great sisters. Um, you know, it, it just was, uh, it couldn't, it just couldn't have had a better childhood. And did you consume a lot of film or TV or theater? Or, you know, what was big for you? I was a TV guy. I loved, uh, certainly like, I don't you know, I guess when I got older, but like, you know, Happy Days and Laverne, all this Gary Marshall stuff, mm-hmm. who now I get to call a friend of mine, you know, it's pretty sweet. Um, but yeah, that was, I was never into movies. I think one of the early movies I saw was Star Wars. As a, I mean, no, I'm sorry, Jaws. Mm-hmm. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so I was like, I don't, I don't like movies. Right, right, right. But I, I did, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm sure you, you interview people who say, oh, they, they love movies, they study. I was more of a TV kid. Um, I didn't have much theater in my life because I grew up, you know, in Orange County. It was, wasn't, you know, there was a puppet show at Knott's Berry Farm. Which right. was, you know, that was about the theater that I <laughs> that saw. The stunt the guy. Well, there was a stunt show there. It was, it was kind of theatrical and, you know, like a cowboy and Western, you know, mm-hmm. stuff thing. So I wanted to be a stuntman, but not a real one like in the movies, like, you know, one at Knott's Berry Farm. Right. Was like, you know. <laughs> but I did make movies when I was, you know, maybe eight or nine or ten uh, with my friend down the street, Michael, and we, we had an eight millimeter camera and you could, you know, nowadays, and that's why, not to jump all around, but I tell people that want to do, act or do I go, go make a whole movie on your phone and edit it and do sound like I don't want to hear from you and not only can you make a, an incredible five ten minute movie or a two hour movie on your phone you can there's a place to put it now in terms of getting in front of a camera when was the 
first time you did it even just for fun and then when did it become something that you thought seriously you could do in the long run well it was probably that I mean you know those movies um, I wanted to uh, but I, I guess I always wanted to be an actor or a musician um, I think I wanted to be famous but not there, there wasn't you know Instagram fame or whatever that was. it was just like you know like I said I'm a very good child but I but I but I think I was a little sort of picked on and I, you know, I was more insecure than I maybe. And so I always thought, oh, I'll get on TV. You know, uh, I think, you know, filming myself in those eight millimeter movies and, um, but I knew I wanted to do it. I, I think I was just a natural ham bone. My, my mom said general hospital that I guess was the first professional gig. I did a few commercials. Mm-hmm. I did this Buffums commercial, uh, which was a local store thing. And I remember I was so excited, but I think that my line was like, you know, welcome to Buffums, but I said like, welcome to Puffums or something. I said it wrong. <laughs> so everybody would make fun of, you know, you'd wait, you know, I remember you'd wait by the TV to, you know, for it to come on. And then I did a Coca-Cola commercial with Bill Cosby and uh, I didn't drink the Coke. I was... handed it to me. <laughs> um, I'm glad you can make those jokes. Yeah, I was so freaking uptight about it for a long time. <laughs> um, he, uh, but that never aired. And then I did a... Um, uh, something else, I think. And then, yeah, then General Hospital came along. So when you got that, did it feel like a huge deal to you? Yes. But I didn't really n- understand the power of that um, show. I didn't... I mean, it was the... You know, it was a phenomenon in the country, but I didn't, I didn't... I was really innocent. I was 18 years old. I was still living with my parents. I, I think I just turned 18. My mom used to take me to acting classes, and, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I, you know, I begged to get an agent, and so she... She wasn't a stage mother, but she was very, you know... Um, and I, and I say it, I think a, a one thing that I'm always trying to get back to is that I never, my parents never put up any boundaries. Was, you want to get an age? Get one. Okay, I'm going to get one. I want to be on TV? Oh, I want to go. I'm going to be on TV. So I'd go on auditions, and the General Hospital audition, I remember, was, it, again, I didn't re- realize how big of a deal it was, I guess. And I was really innocent. I mean, maybe just barely not a virgin by that, you know, by the time I got on that show. And, you know, and I'm actually working on a project right now that's sort of, um, fictionalizes my life really going into from you know literally I auditioned for General Hospital on Monday and it was only supposed to be for a few episodes and then I shot it on Wednesday I think it was and then it was on a week later it catapulted me into whatever that fame was at that time you know that soap opera teen idol which was which is also a really interesting area which I which I'm getting into in this project that I'm producing where that machine of you know they'd pick Teen Beat and Tiger Beat and and uh, so it's part of all that. And um, how'd you handle the attention? Was it um, a positive thing or a negative thing for you? Oh, it was very positive. I mean, my parents always kept me grounded, but I still lived at home. Now I was living at home, driving up to Gower Studios, mm-hmm. and and um, doing General Hospital four or five days a week. And I'd go home on the weekends. And I worked at my father's restaurant, and he wouldn't let me quit. And I said, Dad, I'm, you know, I'm on TV. He thought it was, you know, gonna be a you know flash in the pan thing and, and so and I was a Sunday guy I knew the safe combination so I, I worked there for a long time and still lived at home you know for pretty much the whole time about halfway through I got an apartment at Oakwood Apartments yeah, yeah, yeah. with Roger Lodge who was a he was on a, he's a dear friend of mine who, who did like um, Blind Date and mm-hmm. stuff. anyway so that's you know, we moved up well there's a tendency I think for people to kind of look down on soap operas but for acting when you're Getting started and probably had some value, right? You're learning a lot. You're doing a lot of pages a day, right? Hundred percent. You know, when then then the character took off, and there was all these, you know, let. I thought they were all for Rick Springfield, and and it was a wild time. I mean, you know, look, I was luckily I had a few people. I was really innocent, and I had a Ken Schreiner really sort of took care of me as an older. But there was, you know, look, there was it was the '80s, you know, and it was crazy it was sex and drugs and uh, drama and and then then then, then, and then we did the, yeah then we yeah. did the show <laughs> did the and show. it was i mean some because they'd shoot 60 pages a day right so i would have 20 25 pages so yes i mean i hate to say that it was good training because that sounds like it was it's a place to start but it, it was and you know you're doing emotions and you know every kind of up and down and sideways right. and, but it was just a different game back then but i was started to get very popular on there and I was only making like 400 bucks an episode or something really and then they wanted me to re-sign in the middle and give me a raise and I was like no I want to be on a sitcom I don't want to do you know soap operas anymore and I remember Gloria Monty who was the producer she said you'll never work she took me to to this restaurant in Hollywood I can't remember La Familia and Dean Martin was there and I went over and met Dean Martin 
and then she and then she sat me down and she said you're never going to work if you leave general hospital you're never going to work in this town wow that's crazy and i said well dean help me here right dean. right so next thing i think you end up working with jack lugman right yeah, it was this weird show that right when MTV started, and it was called Dreams, and John Peters and Peter Goober put it together, and it was supposed to be like this band, and they were going to have an album which we made, and, and uh, videos. It was terrible. You know, nobody played instruments. It was stupid. So then, yeah, Jack Klugman. I auditioned like crazy for that. And again, I just didn't think like, oh, some waspy kid from Orange County can play Jack Klugman's you know, son. And I remember it was like everybody wanted it. And I remember that audition process was crazy because... I'd come off the soap opera. They didn't think I was funny, I, that I could do comedy. Jack really wanted me to do it. And um, and I uh, auditioned, auditioned, and, and almost didn't get it. And, and I remember going in and auditioning, and uh, I thought I was, did great. I went out, and you could hear Jack like throwing, screaming, and stuff was throwing. <laughs> and apparently, you know, I think Brandon Tartikoff was there, and somebody, Joel Thurm was a casting or anything. And then he came back. Like, All right, try it again. And I, and they, they didn't, still didn't want me. And they, I, he just said, you know, John does it or I'm not doing it. Wow. So what was going on in your life when you first heard the words Full House? Mm, well, I, I, yeah, that show got canceled. And I remember it was a show about, it was a show that, that was a British format. It was called Home to Roost. And Jack, and Jack was, in the, in the, the British version, the, the father was really hard on the kid. And that's how Jack wanted to play it here. And the network kept saying, no, you've got to be nicer to him. Then they changed the scripts and made it nice. And then, and then you know, it, it wasn't working. And I remember Jack saying, and he was my greatest teacher. I mean, he really? took me under his wing and he, he would make me go into the writer's room. And, and that's where I met Gary Marshall. And uh, it would be Gary Marshall and Harvey Miller and Jerry Belson, these old great guys yeah. from The Odd Couple and, you know, all those shows. And, and he would make me sit in the corner and watch how they rewrote the script on, on Tuesday nights or Wednesday night, whatever the punch-up night was. And I'd sit in the corner and shut my mouth and watch every week. Uh, and he would continue to sort of teach me about, you know, timing and everything. But mainly construction of scenes. Um, like The Odd Couple, he'd always say, where's the love scene in, in, in that show? And, uh, and then he said, uh, then the network was driving him crazy. And the show was doing pretty well. We were on the, after the Cosby show. And he said, follow me. And I guess he's, he picks up the phone and says, uh, it's Jack Clark, get me uh, Brandon Tartica. Hello, Brandon. Fuck you. Boom, <laughs> slam at the phone. We were canceled the next day, which was weird. Why would Clarkman have said, fuck you? I, they were really pushing him to play it different, to play it softer, okay. and he didn't feel that it, it worked. They were just over-noting him, and we were switching so writers. Despite and, the rating, all this stuff, they just, it was just a... I think so. I mean, you know, wow. I, that's what I recall. I was in my early 20s, but, you know. So then I was out of job, and then um, I guess... I guess Jeff Franklin had, no so Bob Boyette and Tom Miller were involved with Full House and I think they were asking Gary about me and Gary says oh yeah there's this kid you know you should use him he's funny he could do so Gary he says that he he talked to them about me and then I got a call from I guess to meet with Jeff Franklin and Jeff Franklin for people who only know the on screen talent was the guy that basically he created Full House right yes and yeah. if you watch the TV movie on Lifetime, you'll you'll understand this whole story. <laughs> so you guys went out to lunch, right? And You're right. how did he sell you on the idea? Well, we didn't even really talk about it much. I, I remember we talked about Elvis and then and girls we were dating, and we wanted to make sure that we weren't dating the same girls. <laughs> and we were just, you know young guys, and, and then towards the end, he you know he said, "Well, it's this show. You play a rock and roll guy, you know, comic and a thing." And I said, "All right." let's try it you know it was pretty simple I think and then we 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 did it we found Dave and then there's another guy John Posey we shot the pilot with him and I guess uh, Franklin always wanted tag it and so we waited for him to be around one thing that I think people may not realize because you did not look like a kid but you were 25 when this started and 33 when it was over it's hard to imagine you were that young when this crazy time in your life was happening right it was kind of crazy, but it, you know, there was no social media. There was no, yeah. you know, there was the, the press hated Full House, and I, I don't know if you noticed. They still seem to <laughs> not like the new one either. But no, the press likes the newer one. That just the the reviews. Right. But the press, it, it, we were. I mean, you know the ratings. I guess yeah. they were they were really good. We, I had a bet. It took me maybe year seven or eight to get on the cover of TV Guide and. I, we never got caught. We had one maybe. I don't even know if we were on the cover. We were in us or something. There was 
rarely a single story on us. You know? What do you think the problem was? I don't know. I mean, I guess people just didn't take it serious, and it was a fluffy kid show, I guess. But it started, you know, we, yes, we it started to get crazy. I mean, we all got very popular, and Bob and Dave did very well on their other shows. And I remember there was a lot of uh, car shows and money things on the weekends, you know, you'd fly. And then the Beach Boys, I played with them a lot during. And we would shoot Full House Monday through Thursday. It was four days. And so Thursday night, I'd take a red eye, and Friday, I would, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be with the Beach Boys, and Sunday night. And yeah, it was the, you know, I mean, now is the time of my life, but that was the Pretty time of my life, too. too, yeah. The name of the character was not originally... Jesse Katsopoulos, right? Right. Neither Jesse. first name or last name. Yeah, I think it was called, uh, I, I can't remember, it was Adam or something. I said, let's give him something cooler. And I, Jesse was uh, Elvis's, um, he had a twin brother who died at birth, and it was Jesse, uh, Jesse Aaron Presley. And then the last name, I heard originally Cochran? Yeah. So why did that change? I just was, I wanted to represent my Greek, uh, you know, um, heritage, and my dad was, you know, wanted it, and... But then they came up with Katsopolis, which is half Jewish and half Greek anyway. So everybody was happy. We covered right. everybody. I, yeah, I got another one. And you know, it's so funny. Like for years, nobody gave a shit about any of these. Like, why did you change your name? You know, like now it's, uh, I guess, a little you know, it's all, but yeah. It's very hard for me to articulate this, but I, I, you know, now with all this, it's just, it doesn't seem real. What part of it? Just how important the show was to everybody or, or how much they liked it. Um, and I think over the years, it's the audience is accrued, so they're just it's all these you know generational these people, and it's just strange to me. So the first time you realized though that it was breaking through with the public, forget about the press, was when was there some moment when you realized it was you know it had kind of permeated the culture? I know it didn't do well in the beginning, and then they put us on after Who's the Boss in the summer. And that's where it found its audience, which is, you know, something that, that these networks need to learn today. And, and I, you know, and, and I feel that my bosses over at Fox, because we've talked about this a lot. In fact, we talked about it last night where Dana was saying that it's about finding an audience nowadays. Certainly it's harder and you have to just take time and play it in different times. And Les Moonves was great at that, you know, but Les was not, he was not, he was at the studio then, Warner Brothers, but he was So, uh, so that helped. People, you know, find it, I guess. And then it started to get real popular, but... What did you find most creatively interesting or challenging about this guy? I mean, in a sense, I would guess you have to play cocky and charming at the same time. That can't be easy. I didn't really think about that. I was just trying to put my own crap in there and I bring my own friends on every week there was a different ripper and I mean not that I wasn't I you know I did take it again I took what I learned from Jack and Gary and those guys and and and, and I would I would try to make the scenes work better and I would try to work on the writing Dave and Bob were extremely funny and I learned a lot about comedy from them but but they didn't put that energy into the script or the shows they were busy making the guy pulling the cord laugh with fart noise or something I said right. guys put that into you know they did eventually but I was more, I was approaching scenes as an actor and they were approaching it as comedians. And you know, I mean, obviously it kind of worked, but um, I would um, I would just push the writing all the time. I mean, you'd have to ask Jeff, but I would always push for deeper scenes or, or the construction of, of scenes or story. I was into story a mm -hmm. lot. And then I would always sort of, you know, I when the thing started working between Jesse and Michelle, um, you know, I'd push that and, and naturally they would do it too. I always, you know, I mean, I've said this publicly, and I've sort of said it to Jeff. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I always wanted the writing to be smarter. We just, we just didn't have one ounce of respect from anybody in the business, and that's what you want your peers to, to respect you, I guess, right? Well, that, and that bothered you, right? Because I've got a um, quote here, which I want to find. You basically said, "quote The whole time I was on it, I wished I was on another show." I'm not going to lie to you. Now, why would that have been? You not just, the whole time, you know, but but uh, you know. I, Again, because nobody, they just, people, I mean, the people loved it. But you know, it wasn't like today where you could feel it either. You, know, you, you couldn't go on, there's there was no Twitter, obviously, right. and all this stuff. So you couldn't see, now you can go and read all the nice things. And there was no, we didn't have a lot of contact with the audience. I mean, I, I would see, you know, these Beach Boy concerts right. or car shows or if I would go to a mall or something. But you really didn't know. But you wanted something edgier. You were looking around and what else? Seinfeld's on? Yeah, I mean, yes. And you'd, you know, we would never, the Emmys, forget it. I mean, presented, the, like, I don't even think, I may have presented one. No, I don't, I don't even think I ever, like, really? I think I went, I think I went, I think it was only when I got nominated for 
the Beach Boy movie. I don't even think I'd gone. You know, so none of that was. Yeah. We were just we were just looked upon as this, this stupid little you know right. kid show. Aside from kind of bristling against that, was mm-hmm. it a thing like how much longer is this going to go on? When can I go on to the next thing? Or yeah. How? Because how long were you committed to do it? I was committed six years, and I was very specific about. I remember year four, so I was like. Jesse should get married and have kids because I because I knew my contract was coming up and I have them you know because how are they going to get rid of me with married and okay. kids or whatever. and then um, and then my the deal there was to um, I always wanted to do something else and I and, the, and you know it was a bummer because I never really translated to movies and, and it was never again my but but back then I thought oh, I got to make movies and I got to get into movies and do serious stuff and, but you know I'd always end up doing some goofy TV movie like on the hiatus. Where I was playing, like, you know, <laughs> rapist and a killer right. and a, a pimp. I was the first TV movie I did. I was like some young pimp guy, right. you know. <laughs> so I just wanted to be, you know. I just, I mean, it's a, it's a boring story, but I just wanted to do deeper stuff and be respected. So what ultimately led to the dissolution of the show? Because it was sort of, I think there was going to be a move, right, to the WB or something. They were going to move the network, and mm-hmm. that didn't sit well with a lot of you guys, right? I was ready to be done. Just get out of there. Yeah, I mean, and and the last two years, uh, you know. Now, granted, I, I don't. I was not angry down. I mean, I, you watch, you'd look, you look back at whole movies. Or like, I lo- you know, I'm still best friends with her. I loved being there. We yeah. loved being there. We loved each other. Obviously, we talked about that so much. But it was just time. You know, I just it was time. And the last year or two I had my contract that I could leave at any time too if I got a movie or and, and Jeff had left right Jeff had left and but it was still it was fine I mean it was uh, the, and the truth was that when it did like we only found out a couple of weeks before it was not coming back and you know I get like I'm so I consider myself pretty aware of what's going on in my business now yeah. my, like my not show business but my stuff yeah. but back then you don't they didn't tell us much I mean I found out later about the I mean I the WB had just started or something, and I, I probably said I didn't want to go there, yeah. but it, they didn't make any big efforts to get us there, and maybe the twins were not into it. I don't really know. I mean, they shouldn't have canceled the show. I, every time I see Ted Harper, I go, we were in the top 10. Like, what so would you, you would have actually stayed on if they had continued? Probably. Yeah. I mean, or maybe in a lesser capacity, you know. Yeah. And then when that ended, I remember it was, you know, it was, it was emotional, but... It was once it was, it was time, you know. Yeah, we never thought it was going to last so long, and because that's syndication, be, right? That's where it probably found more of its. I think so. Yeah. yeah, it seemed over the years. It seemed like people liked it more as it, you know, as it got old. And I never, even to this day, I'm telling you, I probably have, I I haven't seen many episodes in really? the last twenty years. Yeah, I watched one. We went over to Jeff, when Jeff and I talked about doing the new one. We said we, we got. He said we got to watch some episodes. I said, oh, I don't want to. And we got through like one, and I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't watch it. <laughs> I don't know. It was just goofy, you know. What was it that so made know. you resistant? Is it your your work or the show, or just that it's not your cup of tea as a in terms of content? No, I liked. I mean, I, I like. You know, when I saw it, I liked it. I just, I, I don't know. It, it, I my point to all this was like, yeah. I don't know. I'm still not baffled, but it's still, why did people like it so? Why did you like it? I think, you know, we grew up with it. There's like comfort. Comfort. And I think now the idea of, again, most people are not going to be dissuaded who want to watch it from bad reviews because for them, for Fuller House I'm talking about, Mm. it's probably a large element of nostalgia, right? We all want to go back 20 years. and I guess so. And I guess maybe we, you know, we don't, we don't, we look okay still. I make jokes about it. No, it's true. It's great. I mean, it feels... um, I don't know. It's it's. I really can't wrap my head around it. What do people stuff. say to you when they come up and tell you why they love it? What do you hear? I'm sure you can't go a day without hearing uh, from somebody about we it. We hear a lot that it's a, it was a good show for their kids to watch and a good show for their families. And, you know, I grew up watching you, like you said. Uh, they feel they know. It was funny. I was just at lunch with Mike Love and we were talking the difference. They were talking about how people just come up to me and they feel so close and so yeah. sort of free to touch me. You know, it's because I've been coming in people's homes for all this time into their private you know to their bedrooms and their kitchens and that's the difference between musicians and, and movie stars too it's like you're going you know you're going to a concert or you're going to a movie theater to see them but I'm com- we're coming into people's homes Absolutely. during intimate time yeah. in the middle of the night you know when Dinner, they're alone whatever, or whatever. Yeah. yeah so um, so I get that a lot um, 
I don't know. You know, I, I guess I'm just at the point where I am just grateful that it, people like it, and yeah. I'm not. Uh, so in those years immediately afterwards, you did a lot of interesting things. One thing that you didn't do, as you say, was a lot of film work. And I'm wondering, because you brought this up now, people talk about some mediums are cooler or hotter, you know, these terms they use. And part of it is, again, the, the level of intimacy. There aren't a ton of people who have been hugely popular in both TV and film. I know there's exceptions. But, like, why do you, do you think that, in a sense, from having had so much success in TV, that precluded you from certain opportunities in film or were you just not as interested in film i was for many years you know and i tried all of it you know you auditioned for the big ones and that didn't happen and and that's during a time when television didn't translate and like they didn't help you launch into right. a movie career i don't i don't think i don't think there were many it was you're a tv guy or you're right. in movies you know and if you're a TV, you're sitting in the back of the bus, probably, or certainly in the back of the room at in the Golden Globes yeah. or wherever the hell, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was interesting. I mean, it's really fascinating to see how it's turned around. And finally, I'm at the right place at the right time. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, I'm really have to say, like, after watching the Oscars and stuff, like, I don't you know, television is so much better than movies right now. And we certainly are. I don't want to say we, but I think television had a real, a much better handle on diversity, right? I mean, hundred percent. I just hit me. I mean, not other than the obvious glaring thing of of, of the Oscars this year, but but was um, it doesn't seem as difficult in television. You know what I mean? It well, just kind of happens. Maybe because there's so many different opportunities, so many outlets now that you can take it. You know, the difference between 2016 and 1987 was that. You're not going to get the same size audience that you guys had when you were on ABC. Mm. Everything is smaller but more passionate. People watch it if you engage them. Yes. It's so fractured now. It is, but I got to believe that this thing has hit bigger than, you know, than some of the more specific fractured shows that you're sort of referring to. Yes. Fuller House. Yes. But I we mean, don't, I, they yeah. don't, do they tell you guys the numbers? They don't make them public to... They don't, but I can feel it. You, you can know? feel it. And yeah. I was hearing a bunch of stuff last night that... Uh, Something got clogged up with the, you know, with the, you, you know, uh, what do you call it? The, they were trying to get some, the feed, you know. Oh, the, oh, the, and then the people flipped out. They couldn't get the feed. Yeah, so. A lot of people don't know that you have this extensive body of work in the years after Full House on the stage. You're a musical guy in sense of all the stuff with the Beach Boys, which I'd love to hear how that started. But also, let's just list for people that don't know. This is Broadway. J. Pierpont Finch in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, MC in Cabaret, Guido Contini in Nine, Albert Peterson in Bye Bye Birdie, and most recently a play, Joseph Cantwell in The Revival of the Best Man. Mm-hmm. Was making it to Broadway a very big deal for you, and which of those experiences meant the most to you? Well, again, I, as we said earlier, I didn't grow up with theater. I wasn't a, much of a dancer, although I had a good sense of my body and body language. Mm-hmm. But I loved physical comedy. I loved, you know, Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers I loved growing up to. But, uh, I, and I wasn't a very good singer. And, and, you know, even being around the Beach Boys, you'd think, oh, you'd really learn how to sing. Well, no, they were so great that you just, I would barely open my mouth around them, you know. So I wasn't a great singer and a great dancer. But after Full House, I called Jack. I said, what do I do? He goes, go to the theater. He always told me, but he said, no, nah, he, he didn't like Full House. <laughs> my really? dad didn't either. <laughs> That's really? silly shit. What are you doing? Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Rickles called me the other <laughs> night. Just, What's this new fuck? You with a baby. And he, he did an impression like, Hi, Daddy. I want some more apples. I don't know what that means or where, but that's what he got out of full. Uh, so those guys didn't, you know, right. didn't like it. But Jack said, "You go to the theater. You got to, you got to regain. You're an actor." Again, it's like that was the perception of Full House. That we weren't actors. We were, you know. And that's got to have graded you because you're working. It did. Well, you know, more than anything, I was proud of the sense of comedy on there. I mean, or, or learning to be a comedic uh, actor or sitcom actor. I loved it. I loved the rhythms. And I understand rhythm from music. But um, he said, go to the theater. And I said, all right. And, and again, it was more, it was back to that uh, unabandoned, like, fuck it, I could do it. I got, Jack said, go to the theater. Okay, I, go. And I went to audition for uh, How to Succeed in Business. And, and uh, Matthew Broderick had just won the uh, Tony for mm-hmm. it. And I didn't even think twice about that. Now I'm like, that scares the well, shit out of me yeah. just talking about it. Right. I didn't sing. I didn't, I'm mean, telling you. But I always, in my mind, thought, if I work on something eight, ten hours a day, I'll be able to do it. Mm-hmm. If I hire a teacher to sing and hire a teacher to, to dance, I, I can learn anything. 
And I did. I mean, I did. I, and you were I, willing to just pick your life up and go to New York? I did. I went. I auditioned. And I remembered, like, I just worked so hard on it. And then I worked with Des Maganoff a bunch on it in his apartment. And I remember when we were rehearsing, like, a day or two before this, the big audition that I had, I guess, uh, the verdict for OJ came in as we were rehearsing, <laughs> uh, you know, how to apply for the innocent. Oh, damn it. You know, and he flipped out. I remember like right. he was, you know, I was like, okay, well, that's good. Des, can we get back right. to, you know, me and the, I got to, you know, do this. And, um, then I went in and again, I just didn't care. And I, I know, uh, and I talked to her so much about it later was, um, Burroughs wife and, uh, you know, all these producers and, and I laughed. I was like, eh, it took a while to hear from him. I think Des called me and said, I wish you could have been a fly on the wall in there. They just love yourself, whatever. And then I, you know, I had three weeks. And then... That's it? Yeah. And then I got thrown onto that stage. like, And it was like being shot out of a cannon. And um, that was it. I was in. And I loved it. You I did. absolutely loved it. And it was really... It felt very natural to me to do it. And I don't know how I did it. And again, I'm like, I'm not a great singer, but I sort of like figured out some, you know, Broadway vibrato like if I put it ah, eventually I'm going to hit the note yeah. how to survive or a job you know I just jived my way through it but, but again it was like I did have a lot of experience being in front of an audience with Full House yeah. and with the Beach you know the Beach Boys at that time too during the 90s and late 80s were playing massive stadiums and stuff so I learned a little bit about holding the stage alright so you got to explain how that started because that predates Full House right yes yeah they were like the Beatles to me, or whoever your greatest mm-hmm. love, you know. They were like the biggest thing in the world. I grew up, I remember the, like, this eight track of, uh, of uh, Endless Summer, and it was like, oh, it's the best. And so, and my first concert was at the Universal Amphitheater here in Los Angeles before they put a top on it, it was open. And I remember sitting there, I must have been like 12, 13, and I remember thinking, like, oh, I hope he's okay, but I hope the drummer like breaks his finger and they go, does anyone in the audience know these songs? I'm like, oh, me, me. Right. And uh, so they were my guys, and I, I, I guess I knew a guy who, Jeff Foskett, who's in the band now, who was a friend through some friends, and I was maybe at the end of General Hospital, I was hanging around a lot, and they were seeing that I was getting attention, and there was a lot of girls around, and Mike Love liked that, you know, I was like, see, you know, and uh, I guess they told him I played drums, and I, I came up like on the encore, and it was a very, kind of a big, loose band then, you know, a lot of members, and there was... The Wilson camp and the Love camp, and 10, 12, 13, 14 people on stage. So, they, you know, when I finally did sort of sit in, there were nobody even, you know, half of the guys on stage didn't even know. Right. I remember Carl Wilson at one time, and I played a couple of encores, and people people knew me from General Hospital and Blackie, you know. And uh, I can't remember, but someone said, well, why don't you just play percussion the whole show? All right, so I'm up there playing, you know, I'm 20 maybe. And I remember Carl Wilson just looking back going like, who is that on stage? <laughs> and he smiled and was like, okay. And just kind of went back. I mean, that's sort of how the, 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 I'm sure they wouldn't want me saying that, but it was a very loose cool, you know, deal. And then I just started playing a little more, a little more. And then it was uh, after sort of sitting in, they said, well, we're doing this concert um, in D.C. at the Monument, the Washington Monument. Why don't you come out and play a couple songs and do whatever? All right. And it was at, at the Washington Monument. It's a big deal. A million yeah. people. Oh, and I remember, well, first, it was it, it was in Philadelphia. The afternoon was in Philadelphia. And Jimmy Page was playing guitar. And Mr. T somehow was on drums. <laughs> and it was a weird, because it's all coming back to today. Right. I was just at Nancy Reagan's uh, funeral. Yes. And, um, of course, this was after the, the this controversy that they went through. You know, they, they played three or four. And I was talking to, to Mike about it today. And I was trying to see if James Watt was there today. And, he, and they... they they thought that the, the Beach Boys were a bad influence and that they were druggies somehow and they didn't ask him back and then Wayne Newton played who was also there today and then Wayne Newton took their place the next year and nobody dug it and it rained and so they had to beg the Beach Boys to come back and James Watt had to give them the statue with a, it was a big foot with a hole in it that he shot himself in, his, in the foot so they, they asked him back and then I think when they'd come back in 85 I think it was is when I was there and then so Philadelphia was in the afternoon and I remember it was like, oh, and the Oak Ridge Boys were there and Joan Jett. I have a set list from it that That's Mike awesome. wrote. Wow. And it was like the, it, the song, like Fun, 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 Joan Jett and thing, Mr. T on this. And then was rock and roll music was sort of in the middle and I played drums on that and it says Stemos, S-T-E-M-O-S. <laughs> and then would, you know, played the end. So, but I do remember being in D.C. and it was, and people were pushing to the front of the stage and they said, oh, hey, you, 
kid, you're on a TV. Could you go out there and tell them to move back? And I was like, hey, <laughs> General Hospital, right, Blackie, right. they want me to ask you to move back. Right. Do whatever you want. Right. Right. Like, it was a crazy, you know. It was a big and it's big. continued all the way since, right? Yeah, and I just started playing more and more. And then, you know, uh, I asked them to be on you again. And then they were all there. I mean, Dennis had passed away, uh, the drummer, but Brian and Al and Carl. And, and then they showed up on Full House. We did a great, yeah, and then Full House. And, you know, and then around that time, I was traveling around and they were working on Kokomo and so I somehow gotten that video for that and that you know was very popular and I don't know I mean it was that's great a little a, sidebar of, the, of your life yeah yeah and, and you know I was just out with them last week and I had two people text me separately like like you must be they were saying you must be having the time of your life two separate I was like this is the time of my life again. It's pretty cool. Yeah. What led to the decision to go back to series TV network series TV with ER. This is 2005, initially guest starring, then mm. making it a full time. How did that come about? Well, I did, like, like we were talking about, you know, I, I did okay out in uh, in New York yeah. with, the, with that, and then and then I think I then Cabaret came kind of came up next, and that was a that was another one that was like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know. How did it come? How did you come up with that character? I mean, you know, there's guys that set the tone. Obviously, Alan, and there were some great guys after that. You know, you'd watch and see, and okay, I'll take that. I'll borrow that and tell you. And that's what you do when you replace these guys. You, I would sort of you take as much from right. them as you could at first, and you didn't want to rock the other actors and their rhythms. And then, uh, you know, as the weeks go on, you start adding your own. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how that character came out. And and again, I just like oh, fuck it. I just went for it. And I remember the beginning was rough and people were like walking out, not because they didn't like the performance. They were looking to see Jesse, you know, Uncle Jesse on the stage. And it was, that was that. and I, so I talked to Sam Mendes who came, Sam and Rob both came back and spent some time with us and Rob Marshall. Mm -hmm. I said, Sam, I, I, I'm doing something wrong. He said, no, no, you're doing something right. He said, y you continue to do what you do. If they're walking out, you're doing the right thing. You, you are being true to this character. Yeah. If it's making them uncomfortable, that's their fucking problem. Right. You're, you're doing it right. Was that a recurring thing, though, over the years, that because you're so associated with a certain character, there's almost, and maybe not even only on the audience side, almost like an expectation that you're going to be a certain way? Yeah, sure. You know, for so long, I've obviously, the, you know, I, it was a, something that I thought that I had to fight. And I, I think I did it gracefully because I didn't, bark about it too much um, and then I just sought out from I've always had great mentors like Jack and mm -hmm. Gary and you know and I what do I do where do I go you know what do I, and ER was interesting because th they'd always kind of been watching me John Wells was a fan I guess and and um, I auditioned I never talk about this I when George left they you know they were looking for someone obviously and so and I knew the, the the casting people there, and so so I, I went in for this role that um, that so I went in an audition for this part, and it was a very complicated audition, and 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 I, it was mine to to get. Like they wanted me, they yeah. wanted I was I was going to replace George Clooney. That was it, and I thought this is this is it, you know. And I was so fucking terrible. <laughs> I barfed and shit and bled all over that room. They were all in there. All the head riders, Wells, the network. I mean, it was 20 people. What, do you th what and happened? I just got so nervous. And I, again, like I knew, they were like, this is yours, man. You, there's, they're seeing a couple other people, but this is your part. Mm -hmm. This is for you. And I was because I was just so scared, yeah. you know. And I, and that's when that's when I lost what I'm talking about. The theme of this whole interview is that um, fearlessness. Right. I lost that. Right. I was afraid, and you know, that's when you start thinking about yourself too much. And you're that's why again, like with General Hospital and and even Full House, like I didn't think about oh, the, if I get this, this is what's going to happen in my life and my career. I never thought that, you yeah. know. But I did think that with ER. I thought, oh, this is it, man. I'm gonna, go, yeah, you know. And I remember uh, John uh, Levy calling me. He was a casting director. I said, how was it? He said, you shit the bed. <laughs> I said, great. <laughs> Thanks. So does that mean I don't get the part? He right. says, yeah, no. And then, you know, it was just, and I think it was Eric Palladino did that. I can't remember what the character was. But, um, but it wasn't my time. And John and I talked about it years later. And he said, we got it. You were nervous. It wasn't that. We did feel that you were too close to George. Which, what a great compliment. Yeah. And we, we wanted to go a different way. Maybe he was just being you know political with me because he's great that way in a, in, a, in a good way. 
And he said, he goes, it was it was always meant to be when you came back now. That was an interesting time too, because I'd done Jake and Progress. Jake and Progress came around. The original pitch for that was, uh, and this guy Austin Winsberg came and he didn't really have much more than, what about a romantic a comedy version of 24? And the first year was the first date. And this was before the Tina Fey movie, right. the crazy right. date night or whatever it was with Steve Carell. Right. It was that. The first year was going to be that. And each each episode was going to be an hour of the, and we would do 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. And it was, the first year was going to be the first date and it would be this crazy yeah. thing. And the second year would be the marriage and the third year would be the baby. Great idea. Went into Steve McPherson, ABC. Literally, that was the pitch. Sold. Great. So we start putting it together and then they start going, well, you know, we don't really like this 24 conceit. Why don't we make it about John and dating? I think they don't understand a male version of Sex and the City. But it was still okay. And, and, you know, and then we sort of put that together and then, and you always go through these things, which I'm so grateful to to grandfathered and the the smart writing on there because we really didn't have to do this, but there's one of those things where, where it's like okay, how do we make him relatable let's give him sweaty hands Jake should have sweaty hands I mean, you know, that was picked up as a, as a um, uh, mid-season replacement and they the geniuses at ABC at the time decided to make I knew this was going to happen I fought for it to be a romantic com- single camera they didn't want to do that and I said no no I want to make a little movie I couldn't make movies out there right. and I was but that was crazy time too because I was like well, why can't I, why should I be doing romantic comedy stuff and you know, I'd audition for things, but and I could never play the side guy to 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 a Vince Vaughn or right, one of these right, lead guys, right. and I wasn't big enough to have the lead in these movies, so it just never happened. So I thought I could do it on TV, and I remember even that's when they were trying to go to to uh, digital a little bit, mm-hmm. and I, I went to Kodak and said, "Look, this whole your whole business is going to be like, give us a deal on." They said it's too expensive to shoot on film. Like, so first I talked to them in a single camera, then um, to shoot on film, and and. Uh, and they and I said you're going to lose a lot of it. Give us a deal on this, and we'll shoot this in film. And that we did, but they had nothing to go with it. Nothing matched. There was hardly any single camera comedies then. Right. And uh, so I was my own lead in. So I was on the eight and nine. So we burned out of the thirteen, six, seven weeks, whatever it was. Wait, when you say you were your own lead in, what do you mean by that? It was a half hour show, yeah. and I was on from eight to eight thirty, eight thirty to nine. I got it. I so got it. I had to, and it did okay. But that's unheard. It's crazy because you would want to follow. They just couldn't pair it with anything. I can't remember what was on at the time, but there was nothing that was looked like it yeah. or felt like it. So, so neat concept. I bet it would would work today. Maybe. Yeah. And so we did that season, and then, then very smartly, then they because they really liked the show and people liked it, and so they developed Emily's reasons why not to go with it. I mean, that made sense, too, because it needed a, a, a companion. Yeah. I didn't want it to be on for a full hour. And, um, and so I sh- we shot 13, and Emily's Reasons came on, and we came after it. And after one week, they canceled Emily's Reasons Why Not, because I guess it wasn't good. Yeah. So these shows were just holding. You know, we had 13 episodes finished. They stopped production after 13. Right. And I was bugging them all the time. Come on, let's put the show back on. Let's put the show back on. And in the meantime... Wells asked me to do two, you know, this big two-parter on ER. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, it's just a guest spot. Well, Steve McPherson flipped out, and I swear to God, I I've never been talked to like this guy screamed at me. And I know he, people talked about him being chemically imbalanced back then. I don't know. I just had never, no one ever screamed yeah. at me. Like, I remember calling my dad, my mom, going, like, "What? This man just yelled at me!" Like, you know, it's ridiculous. And I think I sort of, you know, I I mean, you want to. To bring it full circle, you said, what did I learn? I think I told him to fuck off. <laughs> Thank you, Jack Klugman. And right. he dumped it. Was he was it. so pissed that I'd done ER. I said, I'm Why? just... Why? Isn't that going to just drive further interest <coughs> in, in what you're doing for him? I don't know. He just wasn't happy about it. So, so that was And him. I knew, and I kind of knew that Wells was waiting for me anyway. Yeah. And I, I said, well, you know. Did you have a conversation with Clooney at some point where he was encouraging you to go for ER? I think, yeah, I think over the years he, he yeah, he was, you should be on ER. I'd see him around the lot and stuff. Did I say that before? Did I've, he say I've, it? I'd heard something about that, and I, it seems like, you know, it would have made sense. You guys would have crossed paths. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we were around. I mean, look, George is a genius. I mean, he's the, you know, he can flatter. He would always, when I would, I'd see him at a party or a bar or something, I'd walk in and he goes, okay, the best looking guy in the you know world. <laughs> I mean, he is a genius. I've yeah. stole stuff from him for years from everything. <laughs> I mean, what a, and he was always really kind to me, very nice. And I think, yeah, he was 
you know, yeah, you should do. You'd be great on that show, or whatever. So after that two episode guest thing, and now you don't have a conflict, so you come back for the next three years. Yeah, and you enjoyed it. I loved it. I mean, I knew I really had to. I, this was it. You know, I was like, okay, all the shit I've been bitching about all these years. I want to be taken serious. I want to be good writing. You know, and there it was. There you are. You know? So how early on, and this is interesting in light of what we're talking about, where you've wanted to get away from the whole Full House thing. You've mm-hmm. now got into ER and you're doing a very different kind of, couldn't be more different. And mm-hmm. yet it sounds like, from what I've read, that for quite a while it was in the back of your head that maybe there's something more we can do with Full House. Well, what happened was, and I'd always, I'd love producing stuff. And during those years, I think some of it before ER, I had a, a general meeting with Neil Marin and Craig Zayden. And we just hit it off. And they became sort of producing mentors to me. And I brought them, I think the first thing was a Beach Boy miniseries. I think that was first. We had a lot of stuff in development. And we did, um, I remember, uh, yeah, the Beach Boy thing was first. And then I bought the rights to a Martin Lewis story. It was written by uh, Arthur Marks, Groucho Marks' son. I got it for a song. And then we, we pitched that all over town. We couldn't sell it. And I was at lunch, and I'd look over and see Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes is Jerry Lewis. I walked, I said, do you think you'd ever want to play Jerry? Yeah. <laughs> I went back to CBS, Sean Hayes, boom, sold it in two seconds. Talking about producing stuff in this. That's that good. was the beginning of that. And I was out trying to sell stuff, all the pitching ideas, and I had shows on MTV, and I had stuff with Neil. Not necessarily stuff that you were even going to be in. Right, yeah. I had a show on MTV called The Virgin Chronicles. Yeah, stuff that I was going to be in, stuff that I wasn't. and Because um, I really got the bug back then to produce, and mm-hmm. I like the creative side of all yeah. stuff. So... My point to all this was that once I, I figured, like, once I was had a secure job as an actor, I could really build my production company because everything was going. And I did have some deals with uh, Warner Brothers to produce. And that's what, what happened with Full House was that part of my ER deal with Warner Brothers was that I had the right to do it as a movie. That's what I, that's what I thought we'd score with Full House was doing it like the Brady Bunch did. Wait, so part of the deal for you signing on to ER was that you could, with that network... I had the right, uh, the, like the first right to do it as a, as a feature film. That's interesting. And that's where the whole thing came from. And yeah. Jeff and I, were we were working on other things at that time. We'd always stayed friends, and we, we, um, we uh, were writing some movies, and we were trying to sell this and that. And then, then I said, let's do the, the movie. And so how did that morph into what's now become Fuller House? It's been a long evolution, right? Yeah, the, the movie thing kicked around, and I had some Billy Gerber and some good people involved, and we just we did, it just didn't go. I don't even know if a script came out of it, but um, again, I wanted it to be like the Brady Bunch, like recast it, and that, that would be that. And then there was a moment where we, it was ha- kind of happening, I think. We got a deal somewhere, and we're talking about casting. And then, uh, in fact, I think I mentioned somewhere it's, that I wanted James Franco to play Jesse. Really? And years later, I saw him when he was doing a Mice and Men. He's like, and he was, he's like, he was super sweet. And we're talking. So, by the way, what, what was that thing you said about me? Like, he, like, I thought he was going to kill me or something. I said, what are you talking about? Now you said I should play Jesse. Was, is that a compliment? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, but then, then around that time, I well, maybe a little after that. Yes, Jeff and I, just go to Jeff's. You know, let's. What about a spinoff? You know, and. We talked about it, and that's when I think we looked at some episodes, and Jeff wrote up the first treatment of, of, of it, and it's his idea to pull mm-hmm. around and all that stuff. And then I, for whatever reason, Jeff wasn't around much, and I took it out and pitched it around. And ABC Family bought it, and they couldn't, whether they, and Boyette wasn't involved, but I asked him, I remember saying, can I have your blessing to take this around? And he said, yes, you have my blessing. If you, if you sell it, come back to me. And, We'll figure it out, mm-hmm. and we did. And then it, in Peter Roth, I remember he he was uh, it couldn't make a deal. But at that time, it just didn't make sense for the studio to give mm-hmm. up the property, and okay. so it that it just went away. And then Netflix, how does that come into the picture? Cause then it, you know, it came up like a year and a half to like you know they talking about. It. I think Bob decided he wanted to get involved and Bob and Boyette had gone to New York as you know and did well with the theater yep. so he wanted to strike it up so Jeff and I got in and you know made a deal with Candace and Jody and Andrea and we took it around but now this was two years ago or so right so it was right at the end of the 1090 thing and that and Boyette was set on and I think Warner Brothers was set on um, getting that yeah so when people when we're saying now that everybody turned it down in town I mean they did but 
mainly because Boyad and, and, and Warner Bros. And, and myself, we wanted a 1090 deal. For people that don't know, can you explain what that means? Well, that was, a, you know, they did it with a few shows. Charlie Sheen had done it. And what the deal was that they would shoot 10 episodes. And if the 10 episodes got a certain number, then they'd have to pick up 80 more. <laughs> and you shoot two or three a week, and right. it's kind of on the cheap. And, you know, like... I didn't really have much control of the business side of it. And I was thinking like, well, creatively, this is thing's going to be a piece of shit because <laughs> you know, shoot two or three episodes right. a week. It's going to be different. Right. So, anyway, that, those things kind of petered out and they were studios realized, what are we, why are we buying 80 of these things? You know? So that was right then. I'd say we, we marched it around for a year and a half or so. And, it, and for whatever reason, it was maybe all, all of our schedules and stuff. It, it like we, do one meeting and then it'll be two months later and we do another meeting. But while you're pitching it, you were able to say to them, we can assure you that we will have John and all these other people that have ended up being a part of the show or was that something, hey, we'll do our best. If you go with it, you know, we'll see who we can get. Well, I think having me involved, uh, I, I, I was pretty sure, you know, I was 100% sure really that I would get Bob and, and Dave and Lori and uh, I would hope for the twins. I mean, I have a good relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of, we, we'd promised that, but it, we pitched it as a spinoff and yeah. that we would be exactly what we did. You know, I call the legacy cast that we would be sprinkled through. I just want to clarify because there's been a lot of conflicting things written about. What was the deal with, so the Olsons just didn't want to do it? It was around a, t- a time where, where things were a little, you know, fuzzy in my life, but... We got a hold of their agent and, you know, offered, obviously, asked them to. Now, you know, retrospect, we should have, I should have called them or should have talked to them, I guess. You know, it was, uh, it, again, it was a fuzzy time. And, and, you know, we love each other, but we don't, we're not in contact with them. I mean, I didn't have a phone number on them. I mean, I'd see them in New York once in a while. You know, it was always very sweet. So that didn't happen. So I think they sort of said, well, nobody asked us. Well, I thought we did through their, through the through their reps, people. Yeah. But I don't know if that happened because they said, we don't even have agents. <laughs> we don't know who you're talking about. I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, there was Warner Brothers and, yeah, Bob, and Jeff and Bob. And, you know, then I sort of had a knee-jerk reaction to that. And, and then I did talk to, uh, I talked to Mary-Kate at length. And, and she was sort of, you know, interested in talking about it. And she wanted me to call Ashley and... Uh, and I don't, I don't think I did. And then, um, you know, then we kept trying, and they just said no. You know, they just said that it wasn't uh, really in the cards for them at that moment. They had enacted a long time, and you know, you'd have to talk to them. But I, you know, I hear rumblings of that. It wasn't their choice, I guess, to be in that show when, when they were when they were original. Yeah, yeah. And so I think again, I, I can't speak for them, mm-hmm. but I have heard that they don't have the best of memories of it and they kind of just want to move on mm. want to move on I don't know I mean um, yeah so that particular incident aside it seems like the process of producing of putting together a show of being creatively involved from the start and really shaping the way a show is going to be is something that you really 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 enjoy and are doing more of now than ever before so I'm curious is that something that you have come to enjoy almost as much if not maybe more than the acting um why'd I get both I mean, I like it. Just it's just so much more creative to be in into that area too. Can you talk about the executive producer role you play on Grandfather and who some of the other people are that you collaborate most closely with on that? Grandfathered um, is the most producing that I think I've done day to day. I was like, I'm going to develop my own show again, and with no deal. That's what you do in the old days. You'd have Warner Brothers would pay a million dollars, and you would work with their writers and come up with something, and you'd go to the networks and pitch it. And they were like, well, you can't. Ah, nobody's developed. I said, the hell with it. I'm going to develop my own thing. And I, and I just started meeting writers. And I met with Danny Chun, who I really... It was interesting. I, had a, I was auditioning for this... I had to, uh, this Amazon pilot called Cocked, I think it was. And it was this fucked up uh, cocaine. And I thought, that's... Okay, this is it, man. I got to be on one of these cable shows. Yeah. This smart, you know, where's my neck? Where's my, uh, you know, hip, edgy, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know... Um, like we've never seen you right. in some way. It's like yeah. I want to do what Malcolm in the Middle guy did. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. a full house guy. Uh, why can't I, right, why right, can't right. I do what Cranston right. did? You know? <laughs> really? I mean, that's where my head yeah, was at this right, you know, a couple of years ago. And I was, again, I got in a little darker place. And, and I really wanted this thing called Cocked. Again, about this two gun uh, families on guns. And, 
and complete derelict dope addict fucked up thing <laughs> and they said well you're gonna have to audition for it and I said alright fuck it I'll do it and I worked hard and I went and okay, at first I had a meeting and then they said why don't you have to audition I audition I didn't get it I was so bummed out and I went to my agents and they go stop it I go well, stop what they go, you have something that a lot of people don't have use what you have and you and I like it's not that I I don't enjoy comedy or romantic comedy or this kind of stuff I like doing that especially if you have to do it 14 hours a day mm-hmm. I said, go to your sweet spot. Go do what you do well. And I started thinking about people that I like. Jimmy Cat, like, the, you know, Cary Grant. Yeah. James, and even Dean Martin, you know, he played Dean Martin until yeah. the day he died. But he, he was... He played was, the hell out of it. Played yeah. the hell out of it and made movies and right. made television and did whatever he wanted and was respected. So And the next day I met with Dan Chun. He said, why don't you play a bachelor guy as a kid? And I, think. I said, well, maybe I got to listen to this. I knew Chun had a very uh, acerbic, smart sense of comedy because he'd come from Simpsons mm-hmm. and um, um, The Office and then at the same time I was trying to do something with Dan Fogelman and I thought well he would bring the heart to this what a great combination I said, can those guys can we do this together is that is that too big and my agent Richard White says no let's make the package sexy let's make it as sexy <laughs> as we can you Fogelman John, <laughs> and then what you do is you basically march around town to all the networks and you say oh it's an idea John's this you know and I go in and I put on my show and that's what happened with this one and then I think they kind of got everybody sort of wanted it I really wanted it to go to, to ABC actually but Fox really wanted it and Dana had a great relationship with Dana and Gary and I thought, yeah, maybe that's the place for it. Because they would really let us make it the way we wanted. I wanted it to be cinematic and like really... Because I think other people sort of wanted to... They, oh, we'll pick it up. It's a multi-camera. Yeah. Same thing with Jake. Um, Is there one episode that you're proudest of? It's hard to get a rating, obviously. You know, and, 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 and we we're holding our own, but it's not a breakout hit by any means. So, I mean, it's not a slam dunk that we're coming back next year. And we sort of got the... Uh, subliminal message like you want to be picked up show us why and so we really put our heads together and I we were looking for something big some way to end a movement at the at the last five episodes and I said what are, I was thinking about my 50th birthday party in, in why don't we recreate that and like celebrities want and then I think it was Fogelman said well, why don't we do a sliding doors where how your life you know your your at 50, I, I'm lying to Regina Hall, the Catherine character. I say, she finds my birthday and she says, how old are you? I said, 50. And I'm really turning 51. Right. And you see both parties, one um, without Gerald and Sarah and the baby and Edie and, and, and how I was and my life. And my father comes back and I wanted to do, and I was thinking of, we were always talking about, we need to hear uh, Jimmy's thesis on life and the speech. And I said, well, let me do a, a, a eulogy. So, uh, bring my dad on so so I had an idea to bring on um, Paul Servino because he looked a little bit like my dad so so this last two episodes three episodes really but the two are like the sliding door and my dad comes back and you see him at my birthday at 50th and there's you know it's it's just shallow and it's life is you know really you know empty and there's a little sadness and there's not that pep in his thing and then at the same time you see my 51st birthday and that we go back and forth and it's really beautiful yeah. and what I love about it is that you see you see um, Gerald's life without his dad and he's sort of asking and and he finally gets to the point where he says I want to meet my dad and she says oh no he's an, he's an asshole he's a shallow piece of shit you can't meet him <laughs> right. and it ends the show ends with Gerald getting on a bus and taking Edie and coming up to the restaurant and just as he comes in it's, it's from the first scene of the pilot and he says, hey, I'm your son. That's right. And at the very end, and it, and it goes back to the now, and he says, uh, I'm going to propose to Christina. And then I get a phone call, and my dad died. So the next one kind of launches into that whole thing. So they're, it's, they're really that's deep solid. and that's, really solid. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I think we needed to do to get picked up. When do you find out? A couple a month or so. The beauty of what's happening for me now is that, and I sort of, I sort of teed it up this way, is that I have a show that... I'm super proud of Grandfathered that I was in the every ounce of the you know uh, part everything to do with the show I mean I met with Dan Chun we talked about uh, a bachelor who has a kid and uh, I said well I did that on you again with Jack I was the kid and he said well, what about a baby I said yeah that's it and then we sat and talked the show out and we brought in Dan Fogelman pitched I mean from the beginning you know that's and, and I feel that's this is what I want to do on television as an actor and as a producer. 
It's a little romantic comedy every week, as I wanted to do with Jake in Progress. It's gotten really good, I feel. And then, you know, I have this fluffy, great, iconic thing that I can be part of as yeah. well. It's the really the best of all worlds. Grandfathered is, is like what we did on Full House. Like, it's got to build an audience. It's got to be around for a while. It's just going to take time for people to discover it. I think, you know, I think it belongs on network television. It's a, you look at it, there's a familiar face on there, there's love, you know, people, the chemistry's great with the cast. Yeah. I feel that it has some of those, the only thing you can hope for is chemistry, right? And pray, and all the stars have to line right. up and everything. And if it happens, great. And I feel like that's happening on this. It's a, it's a joyful place to work. You've laughed about the poor critical reception for Fuller House, but Grandfather's actually been really well yes. received, right? Well, you know, I did a bit on, on Seth Myers last week, and, and, and I, because I, when, when the, I knew, we, so we finished Fuller House, and I thought, oh, I'll, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if people are going to like it. I hope, you know. And then all this anticipation started going. I said, oh, my God, like, what have we done here? Like, we shouldn't have redid this. This is a mistake, you know. How do you live up to the hype? How do you live it up to it? And then I asked people, reporters, and people that had seen the thing, they go, this is exactly what people want to see, you know. And I knew that the reviews were going to be great. But I read a couple early on they were good. And then Dave and Bob and Lauren Candace, they were upset. I said, what are you guys upset about? Because I didn't look. I don't read. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't. I read them sometimes. They don't phase me mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I then I happened to find some site that had like all that had gathered all the worst ones. You know, <laughs> comparing it to necrophilia and like a, <laughs> a porn parody without the porn. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Right. You know. So I had to call call it out on. But yes, grandfather got great reviews and. It scared me because I was like, oh, God, if this is getting good reviews, nobody's going to watch it. <laughs> you know, because And Full House, by the way, the only review I remember from that back in the 80s was this show won't last till Thanksgiving. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, God bless reviewers and television. I just right. don't think they matter that much because you're not spending any money. If you don't like it, you turn it down. Right. So can you pinpoint what it is that makes Grandfathered something that they are responding to, they being the critics, and also that you are personally enjoying so much? What is it? at its core that makes it so special um well it's a positive for me because I, I just love I love this character I think it's um on the surface you think oh he's a bachelor and he's got girls and John Stamos will do this bullshit with it but it's much the guy seems much deeper to me much more quirky and he's a two step forward one step back guy I thought they I just think they've done an incredible job creating a really interesting and I think hopefully more people will discover it and more people will see it as like this is a very fresh interesting character that's not just some Lothario or yeah and it's gotten better as it's gone along it's I mean this, these last episodes the whole Catherine Sanders uh, mm -hmm. storyline is really interesting I love it and you know yeah. like I talk about diversity again it's like we didn't even we don't even uh, the, Jimmy like brags about it at one point he's like you know Catherine's like he likes to take credit for like, but the show ourselves didn't say there was a inter interracial. Well, we tell people what thing. this is. This is your latest love interest is Regina Hall, and yeah. I love that one journalist described her as Jimmy's Amal, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the woman who's going to finally tame this guy yeah. potentially. Right. Well, yeah. I wanted him to be challenged. I didn't want it to be so stereotypical. But in my life, I always feel maybe I try not to, but uh, uh, truthfully, I'm not threatened. But it's I think of myself as more of a of a street smart guy and not book smart so mm -hmm. when you're around this kind of woman it's wow it's, you mm -hmm. know. so we wanted to play that energy and again like there's no mention at all that she's black I'm white. Yeah. except for again Jimmy wants to take credit like he, he's saying to Sarah he says uh, Catherine's like America she's like all of us you know? she's diverse <laughs> she's like America but that's right. all the only mention right. and I'm proud of that yeah. there's, there's you know it's uh, yeah and it's gotten better and better I think it'll be around for a little bit and Again, I can go there, and I'm working 14 hours a day on that. But I, I was going to say, it. you're like the most youthful grandfather that anybody's ever thought of. Was it a little weird to even think of yourself in those terms? Yeah, I, mean, I hate it. <laughs> I, mean, I don't hate it. I, I, I just don't. I never liked. The, it was never like up until the. It was called coming of age, you mm -hmm. know, and there was a million titles, but none of them were like grandpa, or grandfather. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, fuck, no. <laughs> I remember telling everybody, forget it. And they're like, John, you know, Dana really wants to call it grandfather. I was like, I don't, okay. <laughs> I just, and here's why, and I still don't like the title, because it's not what the show is. It's not, it's not about me just being a grandfather. Right. It's, you know, it's, I think hopefully what people like about it, what, the, what, what it'll grow into is that there really is a lot going on. There's, it's a, about me and a son. It's the, 
this great relationship between Josh Peck and Christina Milian now, which is fantastic, and me and Sarah. You know, it's, there's a lot there. It's certainly not just about a, a grandpa. And I love Ravi Patel. He's a friend of mine. Ravi's I think he's great. Great, yeah. great, great, great. Fun. So last thing here is just basically, on the one hand, your, your life's kind of come full circle here with Fuller House. Simultaneously going into kind of new, exciting territory with grandfather, balancing sort of the nostalgia element with the see what's next. How would you describe your outlook at the moment? It's, a, it's kind of an interesting time to be John Stamos, I would imagine. Well, I'm buzzing. I'm like vibrating on a different level that I haven't had. But I didn't have any, you know, you always say like youth is wasted on the, like I wish I knew then what I know now. But I'm lucky in the sense that I do have a youthful thing about me, I guess. So maybe I can capitalize on knowing a little more now. And so, I mean, that's why it's a great time. I mean, it's been a, an incredible year. And, and, you know, I came out of a dark place and I lost my mother and I had some, Sorry you know, that. health issues. And, and um, it's just like all good is happening at one moment. And I'm not taking it for granted. I'm so grateful. I wake up just so happy every day and I, I don't even want to sleep I mean it's like oh, I can't wait to get up what's gonna happen now that the actual work is here and it just feels to come full circle it's like I do feel like that I have some respect for my peers and that's well you know that's all I ever wanted absolutely well thank you so much I really appreciate it thank you, thank you.